This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Aaron and I developed this um, promo as we planned our series a few months ago, and we wrote this. Christmas is about presence. Not presence under the tree, but God with us. Present in the pain, present in the trials, present in the joy, and in the celebration, present bringing faith, hope, and love. God is here, dwelling in our midst. When we sat in our conference room and and sought the Lord and prayed and developed our Christmas series back in October, um, I had no idea how much I'd need the messages that I was going to give. Um, as, you, as you probably know, um, my mom passed away last Sunday, um, and I don't know that um, anything could be more fitting for me to teach on than what I'm teaching on today. Um, it's been something that's really uh, sustained us as a family and, and, and been a blessing to us. And so... Um, a lot of people ask me how I'm going. Well, two things, adrenaline and coffee, and so um, you're in for a treat this morning, I hope. <clears throat> uh, if you have a Bible, you can open up to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I think it's true what we wrote, that um, Christmas is indeed about presence. It's indeed about presence. Um, but I think in some ways our uh, culture has just sort of gone a little bit crazy, haven't we? I mean, you know it's the Christmas season um, only after somebody gets mauled at Walmart trying to get to uh, some sort of deal. And that, isn't that just a little bit weird? <laughs> Christmas is about presence, though, but not those kind of presents, not the presents under the tree. One of the things that I love most about Christmas is the time just to spend with family. Uh, time around the dinner table, uh, eating a meal that takes way too long to eat, the time sitting around the tree, opening presents one at a time, trying it, whatever it is, on uh, presents. But I think the presence that matters most is just being together, isn't it? I mean, that's the, that's the thing, that even the people that aren't followers of Jesus, I think that's the thing that the human soul resonates with about this holiday season, is it's just time to pause from the craziness and insanity that most of us live in in the week-to-week and the day-to-day to just pause and to say, let's take some time and enjoy just simply being together. Because we don't do that enough, do we? When Kelly and I lived in San Diego... Um, the first few years, we came back um, home to Colorado for Christmas, and then we started having kids, Um, And coming home wasn't quite as easy. I mean, if you've ever traveled with little kids over the holidays, you know that you only do that once, unless you're crazy. Um, I can remember one time Ethan being in a backpack as we were waiting in a line after our flight got delayed, um, and he was crying and crying and crying. And as we got closer and closer to the ticket desk to find out what sort of voucher they were going to give us or how they were going to compensate us or whatever, um, um, Kelly, Ethan, Avery, Kelly... um, Put the pa- was going to put the pacifier in Ethan's mouth, and I looked at her and I said, don't you dare. I want him to hear this baby cry. <laughs> and so, needless to say, we came home for, I think, the first two years, and then we said, hey, um, we live in San Diego. Um, it's 72 degrees and sunny. 
why don't you come see us? I um, mean, we can golf the day after Christmas. It's wonderful. And so um, we started Skyping with our parents some years. I don't know if you do this, if you have relatives that live out of town or family that lives out of town and you gather around the computer and it cuts in and out and the volume's up and down and it takes about three hours to actually get the connection to work right. And, and isn't it awesome technology? And so I can remember a few Christmases gathered around looking at my family, you know, sitting and eating and trying to have a conversation over Skype and uh, Skype is better than just a phone call, but we can all agree that it's only second best, right? I mean, second to actually being there. Uh, second to actually having that sense of touch. You know what? As I read through uh, this section of scripture that we're going to dive into over the next few weeks, I-, I think what John wants to tell us in his gospel is that God agrees, That Skype is only second best. That sending a message is good, but being a message is better. That presence is something that the human soul is not only designed for, but longs for. Follower of Jesus or not, every single person you meet longs for that sense of touch. And God knows that about you. And in essence, what we celebrate in the craziness of the Christmas season, if we could just step back from all the insanity for maybe a few weeks here, really what we celebrate is a God that says, believe that touch matters, presence matters, and I'm a God who's coming for you, who's here now, because presence matters. John Chapter 1 starts like this. John is one of Jesus' good friends, uh, one of his disciples, and his gospel, his account of Jesus' life starts in a different place than any others. See, um, Matthew, one of the other gospel writers, invites us into the story of Joseph, this man who finds out that his uh, soon-to-be wife is pregnant. Um, Luke invites us into the story of Mary, and and Mary finding out that she's uh, a virgin but pregnant, going to give birth to Jesus, the Savior of the world. I mean, you thought you've had some crazy days. But John, John tells us the account of Jesus' birth from a different standpoint. John tells us the account of Jesus' birth from heaven's standpoint. He takes this sort of um, zoomed-out, cosmic, uh, eternal look at the birth of Jesus and listen to what he says. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, if you have your own Bible, circle that, underline it, start. The Word was God. God. We're going to camp out there next week. I encourage you to come back. Um, But this morning, our emphasis is going to be a little bit different. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jump down to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. See, it's possible to 
miss the presence. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14. And the word, the word who was God, right? Verse 1. And the word became flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, here's how I know you might have been in church too long. It's because you didn't go, wow. <laughs> wow. See, part of the Part of the quote-unquote trouble of telling the Christmas story every year is it no longer shocks us. Like, we read John chapter 1, verse 14, and go, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Isn't that great? No, that's unreal. That's amazing. That's life-changing is what that is. And we've seen his glory, John writes, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Uh, Many scholars will say that John chapter 1, verse 14 is the clearest, most concise explanation of the incarnation that we have in our whole Bible. Incarnation is a word that simply means to be clothed or embodied in flesh, to take on flesh. So I want to just point out two things before we jump into the major content of our message that that John does when he says this in John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh. Uh, He could have chosen a lot of words in the Greek language in order to, to communicate this idea to us, but he chooses this word flesh. It's the um, roughest, crudest word that he could use in order to make this point. He could have chosen man, he could have chosen human, he could have chosen person, but he says flesh. So um, if there's a person sitting next to you, I want you to just touch him. You can just, just hit him on the arm. See, see, John wants you to know that Jesus was just like that. that if, if he were sitting next to you, you would have touched him just like that. No different. Unless he would have said, see, I knew you, I knew you were going to do that, you know. <laughs> But no different. I mean, he would have looked exactly like one of you, probably me. Um, No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) He would have looked exactly like us. I mean, so much so that you could have walked past him on the street and missed him, John says. He became flesh. Uh, He's also God, as we know from the scriptures. Paul writes this to the church at Colossae. He says, for in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole, the entire fullness of who God is dwelt in Jesus. Isn't it great that God doesn't send a list of rules? Isn't it great that God doesn't send a, a task list for us type A people? We might have been a lot more comfortable with that. God, just tell me what you want me to do, and I'm going to do it, okay? God doesn't send a, a, a task list. He doesn't send a list of rules. God sends a person himself. Why? Well, well because he believes and knows that presence matters. Because it's one thing to send a message, but it's a whole other thing to be a message, isn't it? See, I love that our God knows 
The presence matters. And so he sends himself. He is the message. He is the present. He is with us. Well, John also said that not only did he become flesh, like you could have touched him, and, and that's been huge theological debate over the years, and, but, I, but I think John makes it really clear. He was just like us. And he says, and he, what's that word? Dwelt among us. He dwelt among us. Um, back in the book of Isaiah, one of the Old Testament prophets, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, he writes this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. It means God with us. God with us. Could you imagine what the waiting for that might have been like? The waiting for God's uh, a presence with his people in a way that was different than what they'd experienced. Can you imagine what that might have been like? John says, and, and Jesus put on flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt is the Greek word as skenaun, but it, it means um, literally to, to, to set up his tent, to pitch his tent. Eugene Peterson puts it beautifully in his paraphrase version of the Bible called The Message, and he says that Jesus put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. So for the past two weeks, since I wasn't with you last week, if you've been wondering why the tent is on stage, that's why there's a tent on stage. It signifies his presence. It signifies that, that Jesus clothed himself in humanity and stooped down to become a man dwelling with us, literally putting his tent up, setting his tent up among us because he believes that presence matters. See, it's, it's one thing to send a message. It's a whole other thing to become a message. And when God sets up shop in your backyard, you know he wants some interaction with you. You know he wants some sort of relationship with you. Well, for a Jewish person, this word, this, this, this idea of uh, pitching a tent or, or being a tent would, would have been um, stirred up some uh, memories for them from their history. See, that same word was translated from the word tabernacle. So if you have a New King James version of the Bible or a King James version, it will say, and Jesus tabernacled among us. And so what John does is he ties this idea of God coming to earth to something that the Jewish people had known and understood for centuries in a different form in the tabernacle. The tabernacle, they were commanded to build the tabernacle. Listen to this in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. God says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Make a sanctuary that I might dwell in their midst. They called it the, the tent of meeting, 
where people would go, this tent, this tabernacle that was um, about 150 feet long and 100 feet wide, had uh, fences that were seven or eight feet tall, and, and in the middle of it, or sort of towards the back, was uh, the holy place, which was 45 feet long, and then uh, 30 feet into that, you got to the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and the presence of God dwelt. Cloud by day that hovered over it, fire by night, it was the tangible, visible, palpable presence of the Almighty God. Uh, So much so, Moses came to enjoy the tabernacling, the presence of God so much that he said, hey God, if if you're sending me someplace, you better be going with me because I'm not going without you. When was the last time you said that to God? Hey, we're either going together or we're not going at all. I'm not going at all. And he goes, yeah, I'm with you. A tabernacle, a tabernacle though, it was sort of a solution to a problem. I mean, the solution to the problem was God's presence kills unworthy sinful people. That's the, that was, and so God says, hey, let's, we'll, we'll build this tabernacle. I'll confine myself to this, this box in a sense. You'll know my presence by the cloud by day, by the fire by night. But, but so that my presence doesn't kill you, let's do the tabernacle. Because his presence is that thick, is that powerful, is that beautiful and magnificent. And so here's the, here's the, the climax is John says, and Jesus tabernacles among us, full of glory. That same glory that filled that tabernacle, that same glory that killed unworthy people when they encountered it, dwells in Jesus. You see, Christmas from heaven's viewpoint is a little bit different, isn't it? Uh, Last week, as I was thinking about this, I thought, man, God, how great that you would um, pack all of this meaning, you know, the Old Testament and the tabernacle, all this meaning onto Jesus. Like, what what a great idea, God, that you would use all of that and then illustrate it with Jesus. And I think I got it a little bit backwards because even when God told them to build the original tabernacle, he had Jesus in mind that we would read that and, and go, wait, he dwells among us? What? Without killing us? He dwells among us in grace and truth, John says. You see, the incarnation, Jesus becoming God, becoming human flesh so that you could touch him, is God's definitive, climactic declaration about what he thinks about you and about who he is and his nature and his character. I want to just unpack a few things for us this morning. Uh, my, My hope and prayer is that the gravity of What happened when God clothed himself in human flesh might sink in on our hearts and souls a little bit more, that we might see Jesus a little bit more, that we might start to look at God and go, God, why in the world would you do this? 
I mean, that's a great question to ask. If you haven't asked that question, it probably means that you've been around the story too long and maybe you don't hear it anymore. So, so just wake up. I mean, we got to ask the question, God, why? Why would you do that? Because that's a horrible trade. You leave worship, you leave heaven, you leave your glory, you leave it all and you put on flesh? And that's a trade only the Colorado Rockies would make. That's this is a horrible trade. Why? Why would he do it? Why would he do it? I'm glad you asked that question. See, the incarnation is God's declaration that he is accessible and he draws near. He's accessible and he draws near. See, John, Jesus' friend, had dinner with Jesus. I mean, John sat around a table with Jesus. John touched Jesus. John walked with Jesus on dusty Palestinian streets through uh, nowheresville towns that the kids just sung about. John interacted with Jesus. And I think sometimes we think people like John or the disciples are sort of the exception to the rule. But I think what the incarnation tells us is that they're the prototype. They're not the exception. See, God knows that presence matters, and that's why he becomes a man. He becomes a person. God, out of the ethereal and into flesh, because he wants to be accessible, because he's close, because he's near. Uh, There's a movie in 2004 that came out. It was um, called Crash. It won Best Picture in the Academy Awards that year. But the opening scene of that movie is this convergence of all these uh, different lives in Los Angeles. And the rest of the movie unpacks how they came to collide. But the opening dialogue of that movie reads like this. It's the sense of touch. Any real city you walk, you know, you brush past people People bump into you, but in L.A., nobody touches you. We're always behind this metal glass. I think we miss it so much that we crash into each other just so we can feel something. Isn't that interesting? And you see, you have a God that doesn't, isn't out there somewhere wondering what it's like to be you, to crave that touch, to crave that presence, to know that presence matters, that a, a messenger is different than a message. But I think this describes how so many people feel, how so many people feel, not just in the world that we live in, but in their relationship with God, if they have one, they just wonder where he's at and if he's, if he's present, if he's here. But what God tells us in the person of Jesus is that he wants to be close, intimate, and he wants to know his people. Not only that, maybe crazier than that, maybe crazier than wanting to know us is the fact that he wants to be known. And I wonder how many of us have just sort of left that on the table. Like God's inviting us to know him in the person and work and sacrifice of Jesus. And we think that's great, but we haven't really taken him up on that present. Maybe this is the season where you finally do. Because God with his people, God with creation, is the meta narrative storyline of the entire Bible. 
It starts in the garden with God interacting with his creation. He walks with Adam and Eve, and they talk in the garden. And then in chapter 3 of the first book of the Bible, sin fractures the relationship that humanity has with God. But the end of the Bible, the end of our scriptures, in the second to last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, reads like this. John writes, and I heard a loud voice from the throne, the throne of God, saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, with people, with his creation, and he will dwell with them. This is for all of eternity, friends. I mean, this is the, this is the new earth that God descends upon and says, I'm going to dwell with you forever, forever. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. See, Jesus not only makes a way for that to happen, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, but Jesus is this picture for us of what history will ultimately culminate in. You and I living with God. How beautiful is that? So, hey, here's the deal. If you want to start to get used to what heaven's going to be like, you should start interacting with God, being with God, inviting him to dwell with you because what Jesus tells us is that he wants to be a part of our lives. Can you believe that? That's crazy. It's crazy. But the incarnation is God's declaration that he is accessible, that he's close. I mean, can you believe that today? You, you believe that. What might your life look like if next week you started to just simply believe and practice that one simple truth? God is accessible and God is here. We could close in prayer right now. I mean, you know me well enough to know I'm not going to do that, but we could close in prayer right now and just say, God, you're, you, that's amazing. Um, second, second, the incarnation is God's declaration that he is relatable and that he becomes and is our comforter. Our comforter. I mean, Jesus, this is, the story is that God clothes himself in human flesh, not born as um, a grown-up man, but born as a baby. I mean, after being a father three times now, I can, um, I can admit to you that that first time you hold a little baby is terrifying. Men, yeah. And anybody else? I mean, it's just terrifying. The head on the swivel is just bobbling around, and you're going, what? I don't want to break this thing, you know? That, that, and God himself humbles himself to be born as a baby. And then to grow up and to go through all those awkward teenage years. Could you imagine Jesus as an awkward teenager? Parents, could you imagine Jesus going through the why stage as a three or four-year-old? Mom, why is the sky blue? Well, because it's God's favorite color. And he's like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> Oh, why don't you tell us? I mean, like, can you imagine the why stage of Jesus as your son? Are you kidding me? It's just every time he asks a question, why this? Are you, are you setting me up here? Like, I, I feel like I'm being backed into a corner, you know? 
that he would go through everything that we go through in order to say to us what Isaiah prophesied about him. For to us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor. When was the last time you allowed Jesus to be your counselor? To be your comfort? See, the fact that we celebrate a God who dwells with us in this Christmas season, it's not just him dwelling with us, it's him dwelling with us, resourcing us, encouraging us, loving us, prodding us along, ministering to us. When was the last time you let him do that for you? When was the last time you allowed him to speak to your soul and just say, I I know what it's like to walk I had a few conversations with God this week that went a little bit like, God, I'm upset, and you don't know what it's like to be where I'm at. And then I started to think, you know, as I read through the crucifixion of Jesus the last time, I didn't notice Joseph there. I didn't notice Joseph there. He noticed Mary there, but I didn't notice Joseph. And I think the reason that Joseph isn't there is because Joseph isn't there. I think it's because Joseph, somewhere along the line, passed away. And so when I'm sort of shaking my proverbial fist at God and saying, God, I don't know if you know what this is like, he just, I just sensed him prodding me saying, I do. I do. And his word says, we don't have a high priest who's unable, this is talking about Jesus, to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. He goes, he's, he's exactly like us. He's been through really similar things that you have, and so whatever uh, we want to fill in that blank with, the God you don't know blank, I think what Jesus tells us is, no, I do. I do. Not only do I know, but I care. Let us then, with confidence, draw near. Now, that's an active on you. Draw near. Draw near to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Isn't that awesome that God wants to be your help? Here's what he says in Psalm chapter 34, that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He's present. There may be too many other presents in your life, though, for you to recognize his presence. And I just want to tell you this morning, if you're walking through the valley, he says, I'm near, I'm close, I'm with you. If you'll allow me to minister to you, I will. I will. And I love that about our God. Finally, the incarnation is God's declaration that he is a pursuer and comes to our rescue. That God does not send a ladder for you to climb up and say, come on, let's get going, start climbing, buddy. 
He lowers a ladder, absolutely, but he climbs down it. He doesn't invite you to climb up it. And that's different than every other religion. Every other religion is, here's the ladder, climb it. Come on, let's get going. Hurry up, do more, work harder, perform better. Jesus says, I know you can't perform well, so I'm gonna do it for you, and I'm gonna give you my perfection. You see, Christmas is about a God that says, I love you enough to pursue you, to chase you down, to come after you. And if he loves you enough to do that in the person and work of Jesus 2,000 years ago, what makes you think he wouldn't love you enough to do it now? And so when the book of Hebrews says, draw near, it's an invitation. Draw near to the one who's coming, has come, will come for your rescue. Um, John the Baptist says of Jesus just a little bit later in chapter 1 of John chapter, or of John chapter 1, verse 29, he says, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he says, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. See, you thought Christmas was about a baby. Christmas isn't about a baby. Christmas is about a God on a rescue mission. And you're on the other side of that rescue mission. He's coming for you. See, I think a truth that just might transform us if we would allow it to is a truth that when we look in the face of Jesus, God says everything to us that he wants to say to us. Nothing left out. Nothing left out. Now, there's a, there's a bad side to, to that truth, and that's that you and I are people who are in need of rescue. See, Christmas doesn't happen if we're not failures. Christmas doesn't have the pursuit of God in order to bridge the gap between himself and humanity does not happen if there is no gap between God and humanity. And isn't that the irony that so many people gather around the Christmas trees and sing carols of the, the, the divine being made flesh, but what they're actually saying is we are a people in need of rescue and God is a God who graciously, freely rescues. That's what Christmas is about. The incarnation is God's declaration that we could not save ourselves, but he loves us enough to save us. And it's a beautiful declaration, different than any other religion. I read the story last week about a guy, his name is Will Told Pilecki. If you speak Polish, I'm sorry, I just butchered that. But in uh, 1940, September of 1940, uh, Wilford was, Will told, Will told, um, I don't know who he told, but somebody, Will told was a uh, captain in the Polish army. And there started to be these grumblings, there started to be word um, amongst the troops that there was something going on at this camp called Auschwitz, and they didn't know exactly what was going on. And Will told had a wife and had two kids, and for some reason, he volunteered. He said, I'll go in and I'll find out. So he started living as a, as a Jewish person in Poland, and he got, um, by the Nazis, he got uh, swept up and he got put in Auschwitz. For two years, he lived there, um, being treated exactly like every other 
prisoner there. Everything we know about what went on inside of those walls, we know because of his work. In the spring, it says in the spring of 1943, Pickley uh, joined the camp bakery where he was able to overpower a guard and escape. Once free, uh, he finished his report estimating that around 2 million souls had been killed at Auschwitz. And when the reports reached London, officials thought that he was exaggerating. But of course, we know today he was right. You imagine leaving everything you know, the wife and kids that you love, in order to go on this mission. It's the same thing your God did for you. Stepped into humanity, stepped into flesh, and didn't live a great and glorious life, but emptied himself of all that it meant to be God, even taking the form of a servant and eventually giving his life for you. That was his mission. Christmas, it's about rescue. It's about a people that need rescue. I love the way that the church father, St. Athanasius, puts it, and he says this, he became what we are that we might become what he is. You see, the truth of Christmas, the truth of a God who knows that presence matters and that presence is important, is a God who declares that he wants to be accessible, that he wants to be relatable, and that he's a God who's on the pursuit, not waiting for you to come to him, but saying, I'm going to come to you. And the God that made his dwelling among his people still Today makes his dwelling among his people. Now, admittedly, I think we've gotten pretty bad at actually recognizing his presence. We're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. But, but, but the truth of the matter is, is that God is here, that he's present, that he dwells. I mean, look at the way that Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. He says this, do you not know. Now, now, just a quick time out there because the answer could either be yes, we do know, or no, we don't know from there, right? And Paul's worried that maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't. And so maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you don't know that you are God's temple, his tabernacle, that you are the very place that he puts down the pegs of his tent and dwells in all of his fullness and all of his glory in the person and work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Do you not know? Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't. Maybe this Christmas is about presence, a different kind of presence. Do you not know that you, yeah, and you're going, well, I don't know if it's me. No, it's you. It's you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's saying, it's you this morning. Well, but I've done this and I've done that. It's you. It's you. That's, the, that's what the incarnation is about. It's not about how great you are. It's about how awesome he is. You are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells, tabernacles in you. God is here. God is present. And your recognition of his presence in your life, if you take the time to, as the author of Hebrews encourages us to draw near, if you take the time, 
I guarantee you, it will be the best present you get all year. He dwells in you because he wants to be accessible. He is accessible if you will access him. He wants to be relatable. He is relatable. He wants to be your counselor because he cares for your soul. And he is the God who pursues because he knows that presence matters. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads and pray with me as we close? We're going to sing one last song after this, but I just want to invite you in the quietness of this moment to just ask this simple question of yourself. How might my life be different in the next few days if I really believe that God is with me? Jesus, I pray that you would teach us to be a people that celebrate, that know, that pursue and dive into your presence that is here. Um, That's not a gift that we want to leave unopened on the table. People for centuries before Jesus wondered at what it might be like to sit in the seat that we are in. Don't let us pass it by. In the insanity of the season, would you allow us this year to step back and to know not just that you are close and not just that you care and not just that Jesus came, but allow us to know that you are here. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.